0: that you're taking those moments and not wasting them uh, in any way, but you are acknowledging mentally, emotionally what you are actually seeing. And in those moments, they become prayers that set us up for whatever else is next in the service. This morning we'll be uh, releasing for Children's Church. Joe Beth needs another hand. So good to be here with you uh, this morning, and to be back this week. Um, vacations are always nice, but it uh, it sure leaves a hole when you miss your church family. So thankful to be here and to be with you all this morning. Um, Got to watch and and listen last week, and uh, Justin looked awesome in that shirt. I don't know what he was griping about, right? He was just—he was wearing that thing uh, like a boss. He's a mess, and I hope he's watching right now too, because I owe him several good jabs after the last couple times. Um, Man, I feel heavy. I feel clouded. I even ran out this morning and didn't email myself my sermon notes. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray again that God gives clarity to the rest of this service. Uh, because what what is on my heart is very, very heavy, and we're going to go through it. But we're first going to deal with the opportunity uh, of a praise. Uh, the Gideons have been doing good work for a very, very, very long time. Once a year, uh, we get an update from our brother Terry, and he is here again with us this morning. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give him the next uh, little bit of our service to give us an update, let us know what's going on uh, with the Gideons and how they're operating right now with, with all the craziness. Uh, that they're trying to navigate as well. And then on top of that, as we finish today's service, there will be an opportunity to give them uh, a love offering uh, to take back just to spread God's word everywhere they can take it. Um, I'm hoping that we're a church that's not ignorant of this idea, but you know, the answer to all of these questions that we have and the answer to all of these frustrations worldwide, not just our culture, not just your home, not just our church, the answer is the word of God a complete knowledge of it, to be able to open it, to read it uh, in a language you can understand. Uh, At times, even when there's not someone to teach it, what's the promise? The promise is that the Holy Spirit within us will illuminate what needs to be taught in that moment until God provides someone to teach. And so the work that they do is not minuscule. It's not narrow. It's as broad as it can be. Because it can solve every problem in America and around the world. And if you don't believe that, let me just say it this way. The one thing that totalitarian governments try to stop is the word of God. If they can't shut it down, they'll try to change it. And if they can't do that, they'll murder those that bring it. Do you understand? The world knows how powerful the word of God is. You and I need to not minimize it. It really is that simple. The answer to our problems is in the Word of God, and the Gideons have been passing that out for years and years and years. So today we're going to have an opportunity to get an update from Brother Terry. We're going to have an opportunity to love on them with a love offering as you leave, and we're going to do that right after I pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for today. God, I thank you for the peace and the joy of being with your people such an honor to serve, uh, to serve you, to serve them, to be a part of, of the life that they're building, God, to know that there's so much help in times of need, and God, I just, I pray right now for those that are struggling with that idea, they have needs, things have come up, and God, I just pray that they would remember the family that you have put around them here at this church, I pray that we are making uh, something safe, and I am so thankful, Uh, for the opportunity to share burdens and troubles and frustrations with those that are here that care. They care because they love me and they love my family and they care because they love you and you have put us together as family. And I am so thankful for that. And my heart grieves so deeply for those uh, that don't know that. God, my heart grieves for those that feel like they only have a handful of people they can rely on and some that feel like they have nobody they can rely on. And I look at my life and I look at our church and I just see an abundance of people that, that love me and love my family and love you. And I am so thankful for that. I pray that you would grow that influence and grow that family. Bring us 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 more people that want to be a family like that and help us to learn, God, in these hard days, what it really means to lean on each other and to lean on you in prayer, in rejoicing, in praise, in petition of all the things that we need. And God, we pray this morning, we thank you for the Gideons and the work that they do, the work that has been nonstop. And Lord, we praise you for the hands and the vision and those that are working behind the scenes uh, to make it happen. We thank you for Brother Terry here with us this morning. And God, I just pray that you would touch his road ahead, touch him and his family. God, that you would bring about just the pleasure of, of how you feel about the work that he is doing and the work that they are doing. And God, I pray that you would bring about fruit Uh, In the lives of those that pick up these Bibles, wherever they are placed, God, we thank you that the Word of God is sharp and alive. Lord, it is as piercing. It can lead us to life, it can lead us to repentance, Uh, it can lead us to put pieces of our lives back together, it can lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ, and ultimately it leads us into the glory of the God of the universe. And God, we thank you that it answers every problem. Help us at this church to realize that today more than ever. God, we give the rest of this service to you as we read your word, as we talk about your praises. Help us, uh, Lord, help our hearts uh, remove some of these clouds, let some sunlight in, and let Jesus' glory be paramount. It's in his name we pray, amen. We are on HH5. There you go, sir, thank you.
1: It was last... Wednesday uh, morning, this past Wednesday morning, I, as along with other Gideons from uh, uh, the southern part of the state, were at Marshall University, and we were there as our annual time to uh, distribute copies of God's Word. It was about 8.30 in the morning, and a student uh, came by to me, and he walked up to me, and he said, words to the effect, I'm out of here. I can't handle this anymore. Uh, I'm just leaving. I'm going home. And I uh, stunned a little bit, and I started to ask him what's what's going on, and I learned that uh, uh, he had been on the campus about four weeks. Uh, it was from Cumberland, Maryland. It appeared like it was his first time away from home, and and I don't think he had found any friendship, and and he was just falling apart. And uh, I pulled out my little testament, and I, th- and I said, you know, there, there's some helps here in the front. And I went down the index, and I started reading off and showing him some, and he said, hey, I, that's, I can use that. That's important. You know, just about that time, though, a, a card came by. I was on the street corner there, 5th Avenue, and uh, a lady said, you know, I, I need some testaments for my little group. And so I said, okay. And I, I went, and I reached in and talked to her and gave her three testaments, it turned out. And, but then I went back, and the student was gone. And, you know, the, as I continued on, the more I thought is, I, I really failed. This this man needs the Lord. He needs the Lord. He's he's really lost. He's really hurting. And uh, I, I thought, well, maybe I can find him. I've got to find him. And, but then, I, you know, the campus there is so large, I said, uh, I'd never do that. So I continued on distributing uh, God's Word, and it didn't take long. Across the streets, the student union. There wasn't very many... Minutes later, across the street, the same students coming by for the second time. Oh, well, I didn't wait. I went right to that Roman road in the back of this testament. I started going down that Roman road. And, uh, you know, I think Satan was active that day. Uh, one day I didn't have a pen in my pocket before he could put his name in the book. But I had to run across the street. And there was my lawyer friend over there, and I said, I need a pen real bad, and I brought it back. And then Zachary Klein made his decision and wrote his name in the book, in the back of the book. He accepted Jesus Christ. I, I've been praying for Zachary every day since. Uh, thank you. you know, see, it, one of the lessons that I think I've learned this week, and kind of been touched on in the Sunday school class of relationships you know I have, I'm blessed I have a relationship with a wife a family uh friends uh, prayer groups and when I get in trouble we can talk you can talk when you have close friends you can share your burdens and and the Lord helps you in that way and this this poor man did not have a he didn't establish that and that was a a problem for them, a serious problem. I, well, you know, with, with this pandemic, we've had to operate differently, and uh, we, we began to, God's closing the doors to go out into the institutions. We're going to use our testaments and witnesses often as we can in the public sector. And uh, it, it went, has went very well in the previous month. Uh, I... Uh, I had a pleasant experience, Uh, a a FedEx driver uh, had ordered some stuff and I was outside at the head of my driveway and this fella comes up and I I gave him a testament, young man's nice smile and uh, everything was fine. He left. A couple days later, the FedEx truck, big FedEx truck stops at the end of my driveway and out comes this young man, big smile on his face. And he's, he's, he's walking up, but I, I mean, I've never seen a driver come up without a package. And I said, what's going on here? Where is your package? You know, I like to get these packages. And he has this big smile on his face. He says, hey, uh, you have another one of those testaments? He said, uh, you know, I, I, I left uh, the testament, my truck, the other truck, and when I went back to get it, it was gone. So I I just wanted to get another one. Praise God. There's hope that we're reaching people. There are people that still love the Lord out there, and and we're touching. It wasn't but a day or two later. My wife and I had planned to replace a garage door, and it had been there for a long, long time, and... uh, uh, I had recommendations for uh uh for that to be done I called the small company and up comes this guy and and he he looked like a motorcycle guy had that little black hat on and uh, kind of just looked like he'd been in one of the motorcycle gang but I, I greeted him warmly I said glad to see you and we talked over and he's very helpful guided me into a best selection for uh for for my garage store and I said, Now brother, it's fine that you got my agreement, but we have got to get my wife's agreement for this deal to happen. So she's limited a little bit. She's inside in a chair and we're gonna have to go inside and do the and talk to her. So I brought her in, set him down next to my wife. He went through the spiel. Everything went fine. She she's that's, that's fine. And I, I agree with what you've done. And uh, she just happened to ask him, do you know a fellow named Tim Proctor? He said, yes, I do. He used to ride in the uh, gang, he, motorcycle gang. I've forgotten the name. But I, I switched. I'm now in the Outlaws motorcycle gang, and I'm the president. My eyes started to roll about that point in time. But then he said "But uh, I, I quit that two weeks ago. I resigned. And I said, well, why, why did you do that? He said, well, the president of my, our little company got a stage four cancer diagnosis. And I decided I needed to change my life. And so he says he's devoting it to his family. I said, brother, I got something to help you. God's word. And would you need some for your children as well? He went out there with three copies of God's word. So God is still at work. But I want to take you to a foreign land. I'm convinced God's in this ministry. He's using the church. He's using us the Gideons as your errand boys. And He is providing He is providing the increase. The reason I say this, we are in some places, and when I say we're in a country, we have permission from the country to be there. We have permission to be in all the places we're in. And I've seen some places that I can't hardly believe that we have a ministry in. But this is a country of Kyrgyzstan. Ninety percent Muslim. Used to be part of the Russian Republic. And uh, we have a camp there. And uh, they, they have some limits, but they have a prison ministry. And they reported at the end of their past year they had led 16 people in that prison to the Lord Jesus. Praise God, 16 people is to being led to Christ is a big deal for a small group. Eh? Thank you. One of the announcements this past year was we added our 109th language. In the past, I hadn't paid much attention. That's just a number, but This year was a little different because I learned that we're adding a new language called the Brew language, B-R-U. See, there is in India, northeast India, uh, about 600,000 people that speak this language, and we finally were able to print copy of God's word in that language, we're able to minister to some 600,000 people in northeast India in their own language. Now, right now, they're they're Hindus, basically, and animus, which I think is ancestor worship. And now we're able to take the word of God in here. Praise God that we continue to reach different places around the world. In the last place, and really, this is the essence of the ministry in many ways. I want to bring you to the country of Mozambique and Namibia. A couple startling facts about Mozambique. There's about 30 million people. It's not small. Namibia is about 5 million. And there are a couple others, but Mozambique, the, av- the average There's about uh, 40 percent, 40 percent of the people are 14 years of age or younger. That's different than what is in our land. That's that's quite different. In Namibia, it's about 50 percent of the people are 14 or under. Children are a big part of the population. The other part that you need to know, the income, the daily income in in those lands is about $2 a day, a a soda, a, a can of pop or something in our country. They can't afford the word of God, but we can provide it. God has called us a rich land. And called the Gideons to take it to those people, and it's so important to reach the youth of the land because it's so much easier to bring people to Christ at the younger ages. I'm told that's what we're doing in so many places. As I close, I just want to thank you. This church has been a rich supporter. I go back uh, several years now coming here and i just want to thank you for your support in taking god out in the world he is giving the increase he's using the church he's using the gideons to place his word and he's changing and touching the hearts according to his will thank you
0: In Sunday school, we've been talking uh, through the Baptist faith and message. What started as something that was going to be like a four-week introduction to the church has turned into like 12 weeks of continuing just to go through what we believe. Last week was evangelism. Last week was missions. And the idea come up again there. You and I are all called to some sort of evangelism. We're either called to go or we're called to send. We are called to be a missionary where we are at in our community Uh, in our workplace, wherever it is God has placed us. Some people he moves out of their place and sends them to other places, but it doesn't negate the fact that if we are called to stay here and to be salt and light in our community, you and I are also called to be part of the going process for other people. And the Gideons are here again this morning showing that the word of God is tremendously powerful, tremendously powerful. A couple verses can pierce the heart, and bring someone into a relationship with the God of the universe. And if that doesn't fascinate you and it doesn't fascinate me, then we need to figure out where we have lost our first love. That you can open this book and touch someone so deeply that they long for or yearn for or or spurred into... A relationship with the God of the universe. We have to remember the wonder and the beauty of just that thought, and the power of handing uh, one of those books, one of those New Testaments, uh, to somebody grieving. Especially when you get just a couple seconds to flip it open and say, "Here's an index on grief, on depression, on pain, on hurt. Here it is. Find it in God's Word." How much is it to print one of those? A dollar twenty. So for every dollar and twenty cents that you and I are able. Uh, to give to the Gideons, they put a New Testament together and ship it somewhere, whether it be Marshall University, Mozambique, or around the world, a dollar and 20 cents. Uh, turn with me to Second Kings chapter 21. I find it, um, I always find it amusing how the Lord puts things in, in place, in perspective, even when you don't email yourself your notes that you worked on um, because you're an idiot and you are running. But he talked about the idea of prison ministry. 16 people in this Muslim country, 16 Muslim prisoners in this country uh, uh, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning's sermon was, was totally about, is totally about that idea. Dim is not dead. Dim is not dead. I want you to read the story of Manassas with me. Uh, chapter 21. Manasseh lived... Uh, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. My first point with you this morning, and it come up again in Sunday school this morning because we were in Article twelve of the Baptist faith and message talking about education. And the idea that I found in this passage so striking to me was simply this: Manasseh is what age when he starts to reign? He's twelve years old. He's young. He's impressionable. And for some reason, though he had what seems to be a godly father, Manasseh does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And so I played and I had it laid out in my notes real smooth for everyone to read and follow along with me. Just let me give it to you this way. We talked about Manasseh's uh, or Hezekiah's prayer life last week, remember? What did he pray for? Actually, he didn't pray for, but God gave him, what, 15 extra years. Right? Remember that story two weeks ago? Hezekiah's sick. He's going to die. He rolls over against the wall and the king knows how to mourn and he leans his head into the wall and he weeps and he cries and God hears his prayer and doesn't even answer what he asked because he didn't necessarily ask for that. He asked that God would remember him. And so the prophet Isaiah doesn't even leave the palace yet, and God makes him turn around, go back into the king's room, and tell him, God has heard your prayer. He's going to give you 15 more years. So we play that forward. He gets 15 more years. His son, that is 12 years old, now reigns. So what do we see? We see Manasseh is is the fruit of Hezekiah's overtime. Life is going to end. It doesn't. He gets 15 more years. Three years into that, he has a son. That son eventually becomes king. What are the interactions that would take a godly king and the son of a godly king or the son of a king that does what is right and turn them into Manasseh that is so wicked We've just read part of his story. Keep going with me. Verse 4. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering. That is exactly what it sounds like. The king of Judah. The king of Judah. Of God's people has taken on the pagan practices. He is the son of a king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. At the age of 12, he starts to reign, and we see him turn totally not only from God, but from a, 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 a father that does rightly in the eyes of God. That's what Scripture says about Hezekiah. And we see Manasseh, we see him operate in a way where he reverts all the way back, even to Ahab, the king of Israel, and all the wickedness that he had done. He burned his own son in an offering. He used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He is, he is working in all this divination with demonic influence. Instead of the prophets of the God of the universe, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, the God of Jerusalem, instead of operating with him and going to him as his only need, he's dealing in a rebellious and evil realm. He's going everywhere else. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Doing what? Provoking him to anger, verse 7. And he carved an image of the Asherah that had been made he said it in the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them. And according to all the law, the servant of Moses commanded them, verse 9. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Listen, friends, as we interact as a church body together, let me tell you something. It is very, very dangerous to have access to light and then choose to do wrong. It's very, very dangerous for someone that knows the truth of God's word, that has sat under teaching, under preaching of God's word, and then to choose to do wrong. It is very dangerous. And in the scripture today that we see that Manasseh as king did more evil than the nations God had destroyed. Part of that, part of being more evil was having access to light and then withdrawing from it or refusing it. You see, the Word of God is so active, so sharp, and so dangerous, not only because of how it can change you or I, but because of the accountability it gives when you and I know what it says, but yet choose to do something different. We see it all the time with people in the church that start to dabble in things that God explicitly condemns. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that person becomes very chaotic, borderline crazy. Why is it? Because they are not only turning their back on people that they love or whatever's going on in their life, but they are turning their back on the knowledge of the Word of God. They are willfully walking away from what God said is right, what God says is just, what God says is holy, and they are thumbing their nose at Him and turning the opposite direction. Manasseh is doing this as the king of Judah. And so God says he has done more evil than even the pagan nations before him. And the Lord said by his servants, verse 10, The prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him uh, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. that sentence floored me. God is going to bring about a judgment that makes the ears of those who hear it tingle. Absolutely terrifying. And so when I first read that and I had this thought, there's a connection there. The New Testament says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, there's going to come a time when people will not hear sound Teaching, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will reject all sound teaching. They will reject what God has to say. If you ever get tired of the sermons that are hard around here, I apologize. But we're not going to tickle ears. Because when the condemnation comes, people that hear about it are going to have theirs tingle with what God has done, myself included. You will know the truth. You will be handed the accountability of the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because that is my requirement as your pastor. That is the requirement of the deacons here as your elders to love you. It is the requirement of everybody that teaches a class and opens the Word of God to proclaim it properly. Why? We're not tickling ears, and we're not building crowds. We're making disciples, and we're getting ready to meet Jesus and hopefully hear, well done. And that doesn't come from tickling ears. It comes from The message of the word of God where it is, where it's happy, where it's praiseworthy, where it's joyful, where there's victory, we rejoice. But where there are warnings and where there are condemnation, we will not make light of those passages so that we can leave here feeling better about our lives. Because ultimately it will run out and you and I will be like Judah. We will be like Israel. And those that hear of the condemnation or the mess that we have made, their ears will tingle. Because of God's judgment. And so we need these messages. We need this time right now. Especially in our culture. Especially in our time together. We need the opportunity for the courage. And the steel. And the resolve that comes. From knowing the word of God. And applying it properly. And being able to discern what God promises. Versus what the world promises. Because you wake up every morning in a world. That makes you many, many promises. Knew this. Knew that, popularity, if this person likes you, if this person loves you, just go on and on. Just turn on the TV and watch the commercial. It's promise, promise, promise. But you and I also wake up every morning in a world where the God of the universe has made you promises too. And that and the world's promises are going to conflict so very, very often. We need to be discerning in which side we pick. Manasseh turns against his father. He turns against uh, the God of Israel, the God of Judah. Look at verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so that he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I had a couple slides this morning I wanted to make two points the first one being this the idea of Manasseh at 12 I'm just trying to figure out what in the world was he missing that his godly father was not there turn over with me we're going to be there in just a minute to 2nd Chronicles chapter 32 real quick 2nd Chronicles chapter 32 verse 24 says this in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death that's what we talked about 2 weeks ago the prayer He was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him, and God gave him a sign. That's two weeks ago. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud, therefore wrath. Came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And what, what am I gleaning from that idea? I'm gleaning this. There are certain things that help set up guardrails for us as we parent our children statistically you could see them. If you just Google, if you go to the Gospel Coalition and you start to dig through some of the stuff that they've put out in the last couple years, if you go to the Barna Group that just deals with statistics, there are things you and I can do that set our children up to be disciples, to be disciples with their heels dug in. And it goes from your home to this church and that interaction between the two. And it sounds something like this. Do we have an active faith at home? Do you really mean what you mean or what you pretend to mean when we show up on Sunday morning? When we walk into this building and we come here to, to, to look like Christians, on Monday morning, is it the same way? Do we have an active faith in our home? Do you have strong conversations about biblical thought? Are you praying together? Are you spending time together? You see, if we don't do these things at home, we set our children up to be pagan. We basically disciple them out of the church. A couple other things that you can look at is church attendance. Is it important? Is it important to you? It will be important to them. Is it sporadic to you? Then it will be sporadic to them. And the next generation always takes it one step further. They'll figure out that there's a lot of they can do with the time instead of bringing it into God's house and offering it there for people that love him and love them and want to do life together. And I can't help but think that from Hezekiah uh, getting his 15 extra years to being proud in heart to building all of this stuff to, to, to redoing all this that he lost track of his first flock and that his young son did not have enough interaction with that father to take on those godly traits. Instead, he took on the traits of the influences that were surrounding him, people that did not have the interest of the nation of Judah or the nation of Israel at heart. And so he starts to partake in all these wicked practices. There are certain things you and I can do that can help disciple our children to where when we let that arrow go, like Scripture says, we have let it go sharp and strong and courageous and ready. Or there are other things that we can do that when we let that arrow go, all of a sudden it is blown in another direction. It is way off target. This morning we were talking about education upstairs in Sunday school, and I will just give you this, and then we'll move on to point number two. I will just give you this. Parents and grandparents, I would beg you this week to do a time budget. I'm going to beg you, just do a time budget with me, and this is what I want you to see. I want you to see the amount of influence that we're giving other people over our children versus the amount of time that you and I are actually with them. I just want you to do that. The amount of influence, what's 7 times 24, 168-ish, give or take? We talked about math too. doesn't necessarily mean that somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Subtract sleep time. Subtract school time. Subtract field time. And then subtract garbage time. Social media, TV. Take your children's hours and line those things up and subtract subtract that time down. And then I want to ask you, what's left? Now, are we making the most of that? Even the idea of something as simple as car rides. Music's on, music's blaring, earbuds are in, everybody's doing their own thing, no conversation, what about meals? I'm begging you, just do the, just do the math, common core or regular, I don't care. We were walking through Common Core math this morning. I don't care if you have to draw a picture with 24 dots seven times and then go through and cross out every dot for sleep and every dot for school. I want you to get to the point where you say, actually speaking and interacting with my children, I have four hours a week. Is it six? Is it ten? Hezekiah was a king that did things that were right in God's eyes. His son Manasseh at the age of 12 turns quickly from his father's footsteps and implements all the wickedness that the nation had been punished for again and again and again, and yet he did it again. What are some of the things that create disciples in these children? It's time. It's quality time with you and I. And listen, there's an element of quantity to the quality. Don't be an imbecile and believe that stuff, that you can give your kids 60 minutes a week of one-on-one time, and you've done your part, or I've done mine. Parents and grandparents, you and I are going to stand before God and give an account for our children. And he's going to ask how we took care of them. How we discipled them. Justin is a wonderful help. The people teaching children's church right now are a wonderful help. They will not ultimately be accountable for your children. You will be and I will be. And that is scary. God has given us a treasure of infinite value. Jesus died on a cross for them and God hands them to you and I to steward. For a time. May we take it serious. Is your relationship with God important to you? Is it important enough for other people to see? Because if it is not, they will stray. But for the grace of God. So we look at this story and we see another beating. Manasseh is a wicked, vile man. He's done horrible things and he's led other people to do horrible things too. He sacrificed his own child to the fire. The one that would have been king next was given to an idol to be burnt alive. You say, that's harsh. That's scripture. That's how wicked this man was. Man, not again. Not again. Not again. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 33 because there is some light at the end of this tunnel. Prisoners getting saved in prison. The thief on the cross turning to Jesus and saying, "Remember me." Second Chronicles chapter thirty-three. If you've if you've seen it. So far, there's a parallel track. Both These stories are being played out in two books. Here is the rest of Manasseh's story. Look at verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. There's a warning here. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, not when he was living in the castle. Not when he was sitting on the throne. Not when he was eating the finest of the foods that Israel could offer. Not when he was looking out over his kingdom and enjoying all that he had built or all that he had created. Scripture says when he was in distress. Friends, you and I need to think differently about our relationship with pain and our relationship with correction because if the goal of this life is to be ready to meet God then you and I need to understand that human nature says when it's all going good we don't need him but when you and I run into resistance When we run into distress, when we run into pain or frustration, when we run into things that are bigger than we are, it drives us to our knees and into that one spot where you and I are unstoppable. Leaning into and loving the God of the universe, relying on him. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an uh, an outer wall for the city of David in the valley and for the entrance into the fish gate. And carried it around Ophel and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities of Judah. And he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars. And then he built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. There's repentance. The man that had did so much wickedness has repented. He comes back into the nation. God hears his cries. God hears his cares and he answers those things. Listen, when you're crying, when you're weeping, when you are distressed, when you are broken, the Lord is listening. And we know that he forgives immediately. Jesus has already paid the price for that. You say, I've messed up so bad. I've done this or I've done that. My family won't forgive me. This person won't forgive me. God will forgive. And he creates that capacity in us to love and to forgive other people too. Manasseh is the king of Judah, and he makes an absolute mess does wicked, does evil, does vile things, and brings other people into it. And yet when the Lord punishes him and corrects him, instead of being bitter, instead of being hard, instead of being nasty, he cries out to the God of the universe. And the God of the universe listens and restores. Prisoners in prison getting saved. Paul, the apostle, would say, I am the chief of sinners. Why? Because I have persecuted the church. Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church. And yet, the God of the universe can save him and make him new and turn him loose and make him the greatest Christian to ever live. The thief on the cross has nothing to offer, and he can just look at Jesus and say, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. One of the praises this morning was for a deathbed conversion. And that there's grace in that moment that God can save a sinner that has spent his whole life wandering, straying, or willfully thumbing his nose at God. And in the moment of distress, he can be brought into repentance and brought into relationship where there is hope. See, the story of Manasseh is wicked and vile and nasty. And yet that is where, at times, some of us find repentance. Repentance. Because that punishment and that correction is what we need to be humbled to the point where we look to God and say, I need you. I can't do this without you. As a word of warning, unless we think we can just make all these bad decisions and mock the grace of God or, or, or turn our backs on it or, or make it cheap and nasty, this idea of cheap grace is so disgusting. I'll just pray a prayer and do what I want or I'll wait around until the last minute, and then I'll make my decision. But until then, I'll just live like the devil and do what I want. Unless you and I are foolish enough to think that way, the last verse this morning, look at verse 17. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. still acting out of ways. They're still coming out of that practice. They're still uh, uh, hanging on to these old habits. Do not willfully set bad examples for your children. They're not all the way back into a purity mode yet. They're still missing pieces of what God had commanded. There has been repentance and things have been turned around, but they're still doing things that are outside the will of God, that are outside the command of God. You and I need to remember, you don't get to mock grace in a way. You are trailblazing for those behind you. Trailblaze properly. And if you've messed up, repent. Repent publicly to those that need to see it and then make a new path. You may not be able to fix all that's happened yesterday, but you can forge a future ahead. God will do it as long as you have breath. As long as you have time. You have the opportunity tomorrow to get up and say, Lord, use me today. And he will forge a new path and a new future for you. And then at least those that are behind you will have to see the difference between the two. Sometimes the best we can do is they come to play this morning. Sometimes the best you and I can do, we've made a mess for a really long time. Sometimes the best of of our testimony that we can give is the comparison. Old dad, old mom, New dad, new mom. Your kids are going to point up, your grandkids are going to point out all the things that you used to do. Why? Because it helps them feel better about their wickedness too. It helps them feel better about the things that they want to do. Well, you did this and you do that. And sometimes the best you and I have is the opportunity to say that was the old me, this is the new me. There is blessing, there is peace, there is joy here that used to not be here and you are benefiting from God's work. And sometimes that is the best we can do with our testimony, and it is exactly what others need to see, a difference in you. Your social status didn't change. Your bank account didn't change. The car you drive didn't change. Your attitude didn't change, but your life did change. And so from this person that did not do things God's way into this person that is now uh, following the lead of a Lord and Savior worthy of it, your children have to look, and they have to make that decision on their own as well whether they're 12 or 22 or 32. They have to deal with the idea that God has made you different. So if you've made a mess in the past, get it right, repent, move forward, forge a future with the Lord and become that example. And if you're in the middle of making those decisions now, stop it. Repent and walk away. You're setting people up behind you that are going to follow in your footsteps. Spend the time you need with them. Love on them. And then you and I will figure out how to get in these mission fields around here in the schools and the other places with all these other kids that aren't ours that need what you have to offer. we got to figure that one out too. Because there are more needs in this community than just the kids in this church. They need what you have to offer. Your children need it first. We need to be faithful there first. And then after that, out of that overflow, we need to figure out how to get some of these other kids close enough to love on them and to take care of them as well. Just are stand with me this morning as we sing, if you need something, you come.